Well, last week we started a new series as we are heading or starting the new year where we are, and we're going to be in the series for the next several weeks or next couple of weeks, uh, and, and the series is called What Counts? And really what we're doing is as we start the new year and we kind of reevaluate our priorities, we're, we're just looking at what the Bible has to say. What does God's word have to say about what really counts? Because it really matters how you decide what really matters, especially when you're dealing with difficult matters. And last week we talked about one of those difficult matters as we talked about how our suffering counts. And we looked at the book of James and James, the brother of Jesus, tells us you can count on trials. Like it's, it's, it's not an elective, it's a required course in life. You can count on trials. The question is, will you make your trials count? And so that's what we talked about last week. And this week we're gonna continue in our series. We're gonna talk about another very important issue. And basically what we're going to talk about today is how faith counts. Faith counts. You know, there are few groups that are as exclusive as men who have walked on the moon. I don't know if you know this, but there have only been 12 men who have ever walked on the moon. I thought there were more than that, but there have only been 12. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are probably the two that come to mind. They're the most prominent names on the list. They were the first two to do it. But there, are a, there is another name on that list that you probably know, many of you probably are at least somewhat familiar with, and that is the name Alan Shepard. Shepard wasn't the first man to walk on the moon. That was Neil Armstrong and, and Buzz Aldrin. Those were the first two. Uh, Shepard was actually the fifth to walk on the moon, and he is still holds the claim as being the oldest person to walk on the moon at the time when he, was, uh, when he walked on the moon. Uh, but Shepard's claim to fame is that he was the first American, second person overall, but the first American to ever go into outer Space. In fact, this year will actually mark, it's crazy to think about this, will actually mark the 60th year anniversary of Shepard's first trip, the first American to travel into outer space. And I bring him up because I thought it was interesting, and maybe you've seen this quote before, but when Shepard was asked what it was like to sit in that spaceship on top of that rocket as he's getting ready to be launched into outer space, only the second man ever to be launched into outer space, first American ever. What was it like getting ready to go and sitting in that, that rocket in that spaceship? And he said these words. He said, well, to tell you the truth, what was going through my mind was the fact that every part of this ship was built by the lowest bidder. <laughs> I find that Rather interesting that those are the thoughts that were going through his mind. Now, if you make a big trip, don't you want to think that you can reach your destination before you start it? I, I would think that would be a, a key ingredient to you starting that trip. And yet I know so many people, so many Christians who want to spend their eternity with God in his heaven, but they're not sure they're going to reach their destination. And I've heard that concern and that anxiety expressed so many times and in so many different ways, but they all basically come down to this question. Can I count on my salvation? <clears throat> Can I count on my salvation? I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've been baptized into him, have my sins washed away. But can I count on what I've done to reach the home that I want to reach? And the irony is that religion 
actually in many ways tends to promote anxiety instead of removing it. I remember growing up in the church and often hearing questions like this, if you died tonight, which by the way, why is it always at night? And I never hear any say, if you died today, if you died tonight, that's always the question. I don't know. Uh, I guess we you know, don't want to make you fearful about nighttime, but uh, if you died tonight, would you make it into heaven? If you died tonight, would you make it into heaven? And just think about the implication of that question. How are you, in essence, going to justify yourself in the presence of a holy and perfect God? And the anxiety exists because it implies that it depends on, it all depends on what you have done. So let me try to relieve that anxiety for you. Are you ready for this? You will never do enough to get to heaven. You will never do enough to get to heaven. Does everybody feel better? <laughs> Aren't you glad that you joined us today, right? You will never do enough to get to heaven, but that's okay because what you do is not what counts. So I want to share a word with you today that I hope will relieve some burdens. And I hope it's going to take away a lot, a lot of anxiety and fill us with confidence and boldness because I'm going to share a road with you that you can count on. But first, we need to get off the road that too many of us have been on. And that road is this. I don't want us to count on being good enough as the basis for our salvation. Don't count on being good enough as the basis for your salvations. All, all religions basically take the good or the be good enough road and they give you a manual basically on how to be good enough, whether it's 10 commandments or five pillars or whatever it may be. They all are basically saying, this is what you have to do to justify yourself. But the be good enough road has at least two major roadblocks. Let me give you two major roadblocks. These are the, the main two roadblocks. One it is, is that it can't truly provide assurance because there's always going to be this nagging feeling, this nagging suspicion that I'll never be able to do enough. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain on this, this next point that I'm about to make. But I'm going to assume that I'm not talking to anyone right now, that none of you listening are anyone who believes that you have done everything you should have done and that you've done nothing that you shouldn't have done. Can we all at least agree on that, right? I, I think we can all agree on that. It reminds me of, of a story about a, a preacher who one time asked his congregation, does anyone here think that they have live, lived a perfect life? Life. And there was one guy who actually stood up and the preacher said, oh, you think you've been perfect, huh? And the guy said, no, I'm standing for my wife's first husband. But aside from him, none of us are perfect. And what happens as we're on the be good enough road, and, and we know we haven't been as good as we ought to be, is we begin to experience guilt. And so what are we going to do to compensate for that guilt. Well, that leads us to the second major roadblock of the be good enough road, because what we often do is we start to judge where other people are on the road so that we can say, I know I haven't been as good as I should be, 
but at least I'm better than them. And this makes us prideful and judgmental, like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, who went into the temple and prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. So this is what happens when you get on the be good enough road and it becomes the basis for your salvation. You deal with guilt because you know you you haven't done enough, you don't do enough, and then you become proud or arrogant because you start to find people that you're better than. But here's the problem. God's standard for good enough is not the person behind you on the road. God's standard for good is his own intrinsic goodness and righteousness. That's why Jesus once told a man in Mark chapter 10, no one is good except God alone. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 64, the prophet Isaiah goes as far as to say that to compare our righteousness, when you compare our righteousness to God's righteousness, our righteousness looks like filthy rags. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as the scriptures say, in other words, this is, this is the message, not just of, of one verse, but this is the message of the scriptures. This is the message of, of all of, of God's word. No one is righteous, not even one. And so understand this, if religion could get you where you want to go for eternity, if be good enough was the way to reach your eternal home, then Jesus didn't need to come. I mean, the law of Moses was a good religion. It gave you lots of rules to help you be a good person. You see, that's the road Paul was on. And he thought he had everything on that road. And then one day he encountered pure, perfect brilliant righteousness. And the man who once thought he had everything suddenly realized, I've got nothing. And he summed it up like this in Philippians chapter three, verses six through nine. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now he's not saying that he was perfect. He's just saying, I'll put my resume up against anybody's. Nobody tried harder to be good enough than I did. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So here is the guy when it comes to religion. And he's saying, saying, I no longer count on being good enough as the basis for my salvation. In fact, he'd probably say, "I, I realize now that my perception of my goodness was actually a bigger roadblock between me and God than my awareness of my badness. And so Paul is saying, if you want confidence, if you want assurance, then you need to learn a new way to count. So listen to what he writes in Romans chapter four, verses four and five. When people work, he says, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. So when you work, you earn that and you get paid for that. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. 
And Paul realized this, this wasn't a new road. It's not like before Jesus, people were on the be good enough road and then Jesus came and, and now we're on a new road. No, Paul realized this is, this is the only road there has ever been, the faith road. It's always been faith that counts. And so what Paul goes on to explain to the church in Rome is that you take count of how God has always saved people. Take count of how God has always saved people. You see, in Paul's day, if you want to talk about how does God save people, you didn't go to the New Testament because there wasn't one yet. So what you did was you opened your Old Testament and you went to the book of Genesis and you talked about a guy named Abraham. Now, we're not going to go through all of Abraham's story because it's quite a lengthy story. But let me just give you some of the, the basics, especially as it pertains to what we're talking about today. Abraham and his wife Sarah lived in a place, a place called Ur in the region of Mesopotamia. And at this point, he's about 75, she's about 65, and they have no kids. And at this point in their life, they didn't think that they'd ever have kids. And then God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to move. I want, to, I want you to leave everything you know and everything you have, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And then God made this crazy, audacious promise. He said this, And I, Abraham, and I am going to give you and Sarah a son, and from his seed, the rest of the world is going to be blessed. So what did Abraham and Sarah do? They went. And they got to this new land, and they lived there for over 10 years and still no baby. And at this point, they're way past the point of even remotely believing they can have a baby. And so one night, Abraham says to God, I guess I misunderstood. I, I thought you said son, but, but maybe what you really said was heir, right? And I've got this really good servant, and so I'll just adopt him and make him my heir, and then through him, I can become a father of many nations. And God said to Abraham, let's step outside. And he said, Abraham, look up at the sky filled with stars. Can you, can you count the stars? And then God said, Abraham, from your own body will come a son. And from his children will be more descendants than you can count. And what comes next is one of the most important verses for you and me to understand if we're ever going to get off the be good enough road and ever find confidence and boldness in our salvation. And here it is, Romans chapter four, verse three. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was counted as righteous, not because of what he did, but because he believed God. He didn't just believe in God. No, he believed God. When God told that old man, you will be a dad and a boy will come from your body and from Sarah's body, he believed God. That word believe in the Hebrew is actually where we get the English word amen. You know, one of the things that I missed during the times when we were only worshiping online you know, I, I love preaching to you. One of my favorite things is, is just being able to interact with all of you in, in person as I'm preaching to you and you're you know, sitting out in, 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 the, in the audience in the church and 
Uh, I, I just, I, you know, I, I love to be able to have that feedback from you. And certainly a lot of it's nonverbal, but every once in a while, sometimes when I, I'm preaching and I make a, a point, maybe a good point, which doesn't happen very often, but uh, every once in a while, somebody will say, amen. You know, I'll make a point and somebody will say amen. And I want you to know I'm always encouraged by that. I love the, the interaction, the feedback. So don't ever feel like you can't say amen. If you want to say amen right now, you know, to you know, something I say, feel free to, to, to say that. But one of the things that that, that person, when, when you say amen, when somebody says amen, what they're basically saying is, I agree. It's like when, when we pray, you really don't have to say amen after you say a prayer. It's, it's everybody else's. We're in a congregation. We're saying amen. We're saying, I, I agree. I, 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 I say the same thing. What you just said, I say the same, same thing. And so when God said, from your body will come a son, Abraham said, amen. I, I say what you just said. I believe it. When reason said, no way. Abraham said, yes, God. And there was no tangible evidence for his expectation apart from this audacious promise from God. In other words, Abraham knew that his body was reproductively dead. He knew that 90-year-old, 90-something-year-old men don't get 80-something-year-old women pregnant. It doesn't happen. He knew his body couldn't produce life just like you and I are spiritually dead and we can't produce righteousness on our own. But he believed God. And out of that belief, he and Sarah started acting consistently with the confidence that God will keep his promise. And so Paul tells the rest of the story. Romans chapter 8 verses 8 chapter 4 verse 18 through 24 says this even when there was no hope no reason for hope abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for god had said to him that's how many descendants you will have and abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about a hundred years of age he figured his body was as good as dead and so was sarah's womb but he never wavered in the in believing god's promise in fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now, Paul is not saying that Abraham was saved because of his faith. That'd still be the good enough road. He wasn't saved because of his faith. He was saved by his faith. In other words, it's not his faith. It's not that his faith was good enough. It's that he trusted in a God who is perfectly good. I mentioned this last week, but that word count comes from the, the Greek world of, of accounting. Now, I'm no Dave Ramsey, but I do know at least one thing when it comes to accounting that I think all of us can grasp, including myself. When you track your finances, you, you basically have a ledger. And it basically has two columns. And so on one side, you have the credit column where you put your assets and, and all of your gains. And then on the other side, you have your debit column where you keep track of your losses and your debts. So Paul says, when you say amen to God, when you hear the news 
that what God has done in Jesus Christ, dying for your sins and being raised to life, and you say amen to that, and you believe that, and you are baptized into Jesus Christ, God is going to take the righteousness of Jesus, and he's going to put it on the credit side of your ledger. And then all of that junk on the debit side is going to get erased by blood. Now that's a road that you can count on to get you where you want to go. So don't count on being good enough as the basis for your salvation. It's not about your goodness. But instead, count on Christ's goodness being credited to you as the basis for your salvation. You see, the good news is not that we can be saved. Every religion teaches that you can be saved and gives you a manual on how you can build a good enough road. That's not good news. The good news is that we can be saved by trusting in what God has done and that he will keep his promises instead of us trying to be good enough. We don't reach God by being good. God reaches us through the goodness of Jesus. Look at it one more time from a different translation. Verses 22 through 24 of Romans 4. <clears throat> this is why it was credited to him, same word as count, it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see, salvation is more than just forgiveness. Now, let me be clear. Salvation certainly is forgiveness. And when you put your faith in Jesus, all that junk on the debit side of your ledger gets erased once and for all. Okay, that's the reality of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus on the cross said it is finished or more accurately, more literally, the debt has been paid. He rebuked every notion that your salvation is somehow this installment plan. And if you keep doing and doing and doing little by little, more debt will come off each time. And so someday before you die, all your debt will be gone. That's not what happens. You are forgiven. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And when you say amen to that and you give your life to Jesus Christ and you are baptized into him, you are forgiven and your debt side is erased by blood. But salvation is more than that. It's more than forgiveness. It's also being given. It's not just your debt side being erased. It's also being given Christ's perfect record. I mean, what did Paul say? When we believe, we are credited with righteousness. In other words, Jesus not only died the death that we should have died, but Jesus also lived the life that we should have lived. And when we believe in God and what he has done through Jesus, God then looks at us as if we had lived Jesus's perfect life. God sees goodness in us, not because of our goodness, but because he sees us in his good son. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln. He was out one day in the country walking into town and a wagon came along and Lincoln stopped the wagon and he asked the driver, would you be so kind as to take my overcoat into town for me? And the driver said, well, I'd be happy to, but how are you going to get it back? And Lincoln replied, that's easy. 
I intend to stay inside my coat. And I have confidence that I'm going to get to the place I want to go because I'm going to stay inside. I'm going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. As Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says, So in Jesus Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And this is so important for us because for so many of us, we know intellectually, okay, I know I've been forgiven of my sins. But then we think, but I just haven't done enough. I haven't, (coughs) excuse me, I haven't read my Bible (coughs) enough. I haven't loved people as well as I should have. I haven't given at every opportunity. I haven't shared my faith. I haven't served at every chance that I had. And it's easy to live in this this awful place of, of guilt and shame and distress of, I know I'm forgiven, but I haven't done enough. And that's why I think it's so important for us to understand that our salvation isn't just our junk being erased by blood but that we are also credited with the righteousness of Jesus. And all this is possible because of God and the promise that he made. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 18 and 19 say, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then verse 21, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what God did. God said, I promise. I promise that Jesus died the death you should have died and you will be forgiven. I promise that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and you'll receive credit for it. I promise. This is not a road built by the lowest bidder. This is a salvation that you can count on. But here's the deal. The enemy knows the truth of what I'm preaching better than you and I do. That's why Satan tries to attack your confidence and your assurance. He's going to try to make you think that you can't count on your salvation. Why? Because while he cannot steal your salvation, because that's up to God and God keeps his promises, what he can do, though, is steal your joy and your assurance so that you become a timid, weak believer who never witnesses, never shares your faith, because you're not even sure yourself. So when that happens and the devil tries to lie and insinuate, do what Abraham did. Believe God. I know it's simple, but just try it. Believe God. Take God's faithfulness into account. The God whose strength overcomes your weakness. The God who brings life out of deadness. And when reason says no way, may faith say yes, God. I heard a story about a businessman 
And this was in the days before cell phones and GPS navigation. And he was traveling through the Midwest and he wasn't really sure where he was. And so he waved down a farmer who was on his tractor and he asked the farmer, sir, can you, can you help me? I just want to know if I stay going down this road, will I get to Kansas City? And the farmer said, I don't know. The businessman said, well, if I stay on this road, will I end up in St. Louis? And the farmer said, I don't know. And the businessman said, well, what big city will I come to if I stay on this road? And again, the farmer said, I don't know. And the businessman was agitated, kind of agitated, and he said to the farmer, he said, well, you don't know much, do you? And the farmer said, I know I ain't lost. So I'll close with this verse from Jude, verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And the church said, Amen. As we sometimes sing, when he shall come with trumpet sound, I will and then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's what I'm counting on. And you can too.